with such a big race that has such a wonderful history and the process that it takes to get there, it's really easy to put a lot of pressure on ourselves. So don't rob yourselves of the joy of the journey by focusing too much on the day. episode of chill track friday i'm ali i'm Anne. and if you're wondering what you just heard that was des linden finishing the boston marathon in 2018 and we thought we'll dedicate this to the boston marathon itself because we know a lot of people are training for it and this race is coming up so people might be interested in knowing about the race how to train for it there's something special about the race itself um, not going to go into too much detail about the rich history that Boston has. Um, maybe that's an episode of its own, but we wanted to interview, well, I wanted to interview my co-host, Anne, who had an amazing race at Boston last year. Um, actually, in fact, just last night at our track club awards dinner night, she was awarded the race of the year for Boston, where she ran a 309.39. So... This is for everyone training for Boston or aspiring to be at Boston at, at a certain point. Well, I want to make this a special dedication to those who are training for their first Boston. First of all, congratulations. It's a big accomplishment to be where you are, and it's super exciting. Some people have shorter journeys getting to qualifying, and other people have longer journeys. And however long your journey was, it's a huge, huge accomplishment. So you can't overstate that. Yeah, we'll split the episode in like a conversation between how you trained for Boston. I think you did things that really worked for you. Um, and then we'll talk about the 2018 Boston itself, because it was kind of, kind of an epic race, given the conditions. Before we get into that, can we talk about coffee? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> given that Des Linden won the race. What kind of coffee do we have on on the table? It's a little there's a little bit of a connection there. Yeah, well of course. We're drinking Linden and Truth. Who roasted that one? That special blend? Signed by Ryan. Just oh. Ryan Hall. Where where can people order that if you, if they want to? Um, do you on know? the Linden and True website and they post when they have new um, beans on Instagram. It's okay. amazing coffee. It's super strong. They served it at Tracksmith that weekend, it was the debut of their coffee. Um, it's him and um, Ryan and Sarah Hall and Des Linden and Ben True. And uh, they had events all weekend of the Boston Marathon based out of Tracksmith. And they were serving coffee one day. And <laughs> you and I and Ben and George went there. And it was, I was pretty amped up after drinking I, the coffee. I, it's really yep. good. I ran the BAA 5K, both Ben and I ran the ba 5k and then we met you guys and we went there yeah george still sunny and warm yeah george bought bought the robe and then came out in the robe (laughs) 
and we sat at Tracksmith to drink this coffee, and then I felt really wired afterwards. It was really strong and good. By the way, I was in London this week. There was like a last-minute whirlwind of a trip to London because of work, and then I got there, and immediately I messaged a co-worker. I was like, what, is there a good coffee place around here? She was like, oh, I'm not a coffee connoisseur, but let me ask someone who is. And she sent me this uh, link to a place called Taylor Street Baristas. It's really good coffee. Is it a chain? They gave me a card. So it, it is a chain, but I not like I don't yeah. think it's a big one. It's just in London. There's like five or six locations around London. Maybe and you were maybe, in Canary, maybe Canary Wharf, right? I was in Canary Wharf, yeah. I was there for work, so I stayed there. I was in that area. I actually didn't get to see London much. I did get in one run on a towpath next to a canal. I went all the way up to London Stadium and back for football slash soccer fans. That's the West Ham Stadium. Nice. So it was about a nine-mile run. Um, and it was really good. It was really, really good. I wasn't a runner when I lived in London. <laughs> I have subsequently run in London, but I was not running in London when I lived there. So let's get into today's episode. Let's talk about Boston. Let's talk about training for Boston. So one one common theme that keeps coming up when you're starting to train for Boston is that Boston is a tricky course. There's a lot of downhill, so you have to get ready for the downhill, which may sound like an easy thing, but it's not because you have a lot of uphill later on. But I don't want to get into that. First disclaimer, I've never run Boston, but I have spectated Boston. Maybe I have some stories about that, but I want you to talk about what your training was like, what were the special things that people need to look out for when training for Boston? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, as someone who hadn't run Boston and didn't know what the course was going to be like, I just tried to get as much information from people who had run the race before in terms of what they had done and what they recommended that I do. And learning how to run downhill in a controlled fashion was the number one recommendation. Um, because the first, particularly the first four miles are downhill. And until you get to Newton, really, which is around mile 17, it's rolling hills, but the general trend of elevation is down. So it's almost that it's not even to tolerate that. It's to tolerate getting up the hills and then down once you finish Newton and you're at mile 21. And from 21 to the finish line is basically downhill. So... It's, you know, what they call callousing your body to be able to tolerate that. I wasn't really sure what that meant when I went into it. And I thought that, you know, I run a lot in Central Park and I thought that that was enough and that I could just do the regular runs around the park. But it's not the same because the Boston Marathon, it's longer and more gradual. The hills are longer. The downhill is quite steep in the beginning. So you're really on like using your quads and your hamstrings a lot. So um, a lot of my training was just about getting used to running downhill at marathon pace because it's the downhill that is tough. It's easy to be out of control. I remember, you know, our friend and coach Bobby was really, really good at instructing people how to run in a controlled fashion. So I did a lot of training going up faster and then down the recovery being marathon pace. So it's really f was getting used to running downhill at marathon pace and easing into that. You want to not get injured. The most important thing about training for Boston, especially in the early days, is to not overdo it early because it's easy to pull a hamstring. Downhill running is really hard on the hamstrings. 
And then I had separate workouts that were uphill, just purely uphill workouts because Newton, it's five miles of uphill. Right. I, like I said, I, I've never run the race, but from all the research that I did, um, we kind of, we, we looked at the course and, and just tried to learn a lot about that. Actually, the Macmillan webinars, if to listeners who are, who are training for it, if you have not signed up for the Macmillan webinars, I highly recommend those. Yeah, that's I, Greg Macmillan. Yeah, Greg Macmillan's uh, training program, and you can sign up for the Boston webinars specifically, and they were really, really helpful in that. But so I'm taking information actually right out of those webinars where they explained why it's a tricky course. It's because, first of all, beginning of any race, you might go out too fast, and Boston sets you up to do that because of the screaming downhill in the beginning. So it might feel easy cardiovascularly, but your muscles are getting... If, if you go out faster than goal pace, your muscles are getting damaged faster. So by the time you get to mile 17, all of a sudden going uphill becomes this really big challenge. Um, that's where... That's where the Boston Marathon gets you. Um, and then if you do somehow manage to get up there, then you have another little over five miles to go to the finish, which is also downhill again. So it really, you know, if you don't, if you're not careful in the beginning, it really sets you up to pay for it later on in the race. That's something that Greg McMillan talks a lot about in the in the webinar, which is worth listening to. I, I don't think he sends them out until uh, March. The inclination and the tendency is to go out fast. You're tapered. You feel good. It's downhill. And it's the Boston Marathon. So you start out and there's just such an amazing amount of adrenaline. So for me, um, learning, having learned that pace in training was really important to know what it felt like to run downhill in a controlled fashion. And then almost having to exaggerate that because the adrenaline takes over. So you have, you're going to feel like you're going slower. So that was actually the part of the race that I paid attention to my watch the most. It wasn't to be on marathon pace. It was to make sure that I wasn't too far below marathon pace because what I re what I realized later and was really grateful for was when I got to the top of uh, heartbreak Hill and was coming down, it was the coming down that my legs hurt. It didn't, none of that. There was no pain. There was no wobbly. There was nothing going up. It was the coming down because of the down that you go through in the first four, the first four miles and then the uphill in Newton. So it's balancing these two far apart sections of the race. And, you know, people talk about you, you can trash your legs. They use that term. You'll trash your legs if you go out too fast. And it's because you're, you're just exerting too much too early. And you're, you know, it's just, you're, you can't do it. You just can't do it. And I realized when I was coming down the other, the back end of Heartbreak Hill, I thought, wow, this is, this is, what everyone was talking about because I was on that line of had I gone out too fast, I knew that that's where I was going to hurt because I was tired. My legs were super tired, but they felt strong because I was really careful. So my, my, the most important thing I can say is to just practice controlled downhill running and talk to someone that can explain what that means. You know, there's certain things it's hard to articulate in a podcast because you can't see what I'm talking about, but you don't want to be ahead of yourself. Like, don't get ahead of your skis in all senses of the term, you know? Mm -hmm. I think one thing listeners, especially all the ones who are experienced runners or ones who are aspiring to be at Boston or are training for Boston, one big thing that we didn't talk about is Boston is the marathon of marathons in, in the sense that you have to qualify a certain time to get mm -hmm. there. Can you talk about your journey real quick about that? Oh, like sure. How, yeah. you, how you got there? <laughs> so 
I'll try to make this as short a story as possible, but I never wanted to run a marathon. It was not in my wheelhouse. I didn't care. And then I must have cared because I entered the lottery for the New York City Marathon based on my friend Jim, who was running, who I mentioned in a previous podcast. And I got in on the lottery in 2013, but long story short, I got like really injured and couldn't run that year. And I chose not to defer. I took 2014 to do my nine plus one and learn how to run properly and work on my mechanics and my strength and balance and just sort all that stuff out. So I had a place in the 2015 New York City Marathon. And I thought it was just going to be a bucket list. You know, I'm like a firm believer in there was some opening there and I took it. So I was going to run the race and that was that was going to be it. And I finished the New York City Marathon in 4.11.59. And I remember thinking like I kind of looked around at the finish line and saw people looking completely destroyed and wrecked. And I did not feel that way. And I thought, hmm. I wonder if I did something wrong here because, yeah, I ran a marathon and I'm tired. I'm not going to underestimate that. I mean, whatever pace you're running, it's hard to run a marathon. But I was not spent and I was like, wow, I think I did something wrong here. There's something left here. And so I think about a week later, I emailed the New York Roadrunners people and I, (laughs) I was 38 at the time and I didn't know much about running, but I knew that the Boston Marathon was this holy grail of accomplishment and a goal that a lot of runners try to achieve. And I saw that in a couple of years at 40, my time would be, my qualifying time would be 345. And so I wrote to Roadrunners and I said, I have two years to bring my marathon time down from 411.59 to 345. Do you think I could do that? <laughs> and um, I got an email response that was like a few words. It was like, It was, yes, it will take a lot of hard work and probably working on like nutrition and all those balanced things that are outside of running. But they said, yes, you can do that. And then, I mean, this is how, this is why I joined group training because I wanted to bring my time down. So that was November of 2015. And I joined group training in January of 2016. And I ran um, Chicago that fall. And that's where I qualified for for Boston. And I ended up running a 3.22, 39, I think, actually. Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. That's a really, that's a lot of time, right? That's about 50 minutes, roughly, off, or like 49 minutes off your... Yeah, um, and just to like bring that, to level that, like I don't, I often don't like to talk about times and paces because it can very quickly make people feel alienated from the experience. So I try to talk about effort. I mean, that that's a large chunk of time to take off, but it's all relative. And so each race we're chipping away. And so that was a big chip. And since then, it, I haven't had PRs like that. I've had PRs, but, you know, as we get better and to our, our ability, it's like chinking into the marble and you take a little bit out and you take a little bit out. Right. And I have a feeling like group training and being in that environment, joining a joining a group training program it's almost like joining a track club where you start training consistently with a group and all this collective experience comes together and you can you know you changes you as a runner when i was training for the new york city marathon i didn't really understand what speed work was so what i did was i just went out and ran the mileage requested not any speed work so back to boston okay so you qualified (laughs) there and that was and then i know you you ran berlin after that too which where you pr'd you ran a... I ran a 3.14.15. 3.14.15 there, yeah. And then you trained for Boston the year after. So 
I was with you during during that training cycle, and as your training ramped up, the downhill and uphills became more and more intense. Can you talk about your like the hardest workout you did for the race? Yeah, there were a few. Mm-hmm. But the first one that pops into my head is the 800s up Harlem Hill. And I think we you did them with me. We did five with was a 400 meter or just coming down recovery. Coming down was all out recovery. But I remember the workout wasn't just it was going up Great Hill, which is which keeps getting steeper and steeper. But when you got to the top. There was a there's a yeah. 200 meter track up there. It's a maybe is it less than 200? I forget what the exact measurement of that, that track is, but you don't finish until you do a loop of the track at marathon pace. So you are coming really tired to the top of that hill, and the workout was supposed to be that you finish at you go back you go into marathon pace yeah. when you I hit mean, that track. I mean, by the time I got to the top of that hill, it's like climbing staircase. <laughs> yeah, it's really <laughs> steep. It was a workout that I was actually really terrified of starting i remember standing on the the pedestrian crosswalk at the bottom the top of the park at the bottom of um, harlem hill and you and i were had our fingers on our watches and it was like okay and all those bikers up the upper part of the park there's a lot of cyclists and i remember all the cyclists were going by and i was just like oh yeah. my god this is so scary <laughs> so for listeners a lot of downhill and uphill training I think you had something almost every week, whether it was part of your long run, end of a long run, or a hill-specific workout, but there was always something to do with downhill and uphill, basically, yeah. and then gradually increasing that throughout the training cycle. Yeah. So you really want to get your quads ready for that kind, of a, that kind of a course. Yeah, and also, I did give myself a break in terms of all the hill running, and I enjoyed doing a lot of tempo runs on the track. And I remember thinking, well, maybe this isn't a good idea because you're supposed to be training on the terrain that you're running. But I was training on the terrain that I would be running. So the, the tempo for me was more about really getting into that threshold zone of training and just having that pace. And I did some pretty tough track tempo runs. Right. Actually, that's a really important differentiation. If you're doing... If you're doing your tempo runs, you don't necessarily have to add hills to those. Yeah. Those can, you know, get the pace and... And, and a specific zone for that. Um, the hill-specific workouts are hill-specific workouts. Yeah. Those are separate from that. I One important thing in your training cycle, and I think this happens like... I was just going to bring that up. <laughs> okay. So we're on the same page. Yeah. I, like you're ramping up. Maybe you're doing... Maybe you haven't done this kind of training before. Or, you know, there are some people that are really strong downhill runners or uphill runners. Regardless, when you start ramping up training, little niggles come, some not so little. You might start feeling pains in different kinds of places, injuries and things like that. You had a similar situation during this training cycle. What did you do? What yeah, happened? I just want to say it's really important in any training cycle, whether or not you're training uh, for Boston to really, really listen to your body. And what does listen to your body mean? You know, it's taking me a little while to figure that out, but if you feel something that's going on, take note of it. If you feel it again, stop running. Um, it's really easy to get injured, particularly with a lot of downhill running if you're not used to it. So yeah, I started to feel something in my right ankle. I went out and tried another run and then it, it hurt. It hurt. And I was worried. It actually felt almost like bone pain. I was really worried. And so I went to the doctor. We figured out it was a soft tissue issue. I took four days off. I missed a very significant, I missed an 18 mile long run, but I thought, 
it's better to miss one week of training than to push it and then be out or have something follow me through the entire training cycle. Because the question to ask is, do you want to be 50% and running the whole time? Or do you want to take a little break so that you can be 95 to 100%? And I chose the latter and it w- it worked for me. I ended, I had to rearrange my training cycle because I missed that long run. And then the long run that I did do was a test. I didn't know how long I was going to go out for. So I think it was the following week I said, okay, I'm going out for a run. It's either going to be six miles, anywhere from six miles to 18 miles. And I did it at the track because if something happened, I could just walk home. And I ended up actually... <laughs> doing 61 laps of the track. I did a 16 miles at the track and then one mile to and one mile back. So I did make it to 18 miles, but I had to understand that my ankle was going to rule my training cycle, not the other way around. Really, really important. It's just not just for actually this, this training cycle. For Boston, it's just true across the board when you're running. Yeah, because there's a lot of excitement that goes into training for a marathon, especially Boston. And you know, the not going out too fast, like don't, it's easy to get really excited and it's really easy to put a lot of pressure on ourselves that, oh my God, this is Boston. No, I want to PR. I want to do whatever. I mean, when I went into my training, it wasn't about PRing. It was about running Boston well, what whatever that meant. And what it meant to me was not going out too fast in the beginning. Like I had a very specific race strategy and it did not involve a number. I remember that very much so. And just kind of let the training be. And for that matter, it's a good segue into let the day be whatever yeah. it is, right? And kind of going back to what Roberto said mm-hmm. during his thing, like we we can get tied to like one specific workout or one specific race. In this case, um, you kind of let the training take hold and then let the race day dictate what, what was going to happen. So can we talk about race day? So we're... Let's talk about race week. So this is typical of Boston. It will, at least from what I've heard, that it will throw the New England weather at you. You have no clue what you're going to get on the day of the race. Um, And this was this was one for the ages. So what what happened leading up to the race? Let's say four days out. Well, how do I put this (laughs) without using expletives? The beauty of the picture precipitously dropped. Like, you know, it's always tricky to check the weather too early. It's easy to say, don't do that. Everyone's going to do it, so do it. But don't hold on to that as actually being anything of what the reality is going to be. Because a few weeks before, it was looking like 50 and beautiful. Um, Yeah, that week, it just started to decline drastically. And, you know, we were there for the 5K. You ran the 5K. And it was beautiful. But as the day went, it started to get darker and colder. And Sunday was freezing. We went out to dinner the night before, and I remember seeing snow blowing sideways, and it was 25 degrees. And the only thing I could think was, I'm so glad that tomorrow is going to be warmer. And it was not warm on the day of the Boston Marathon, but it was warmer than it was on Sunday. Um, And actually, the Boston Athletic Association sent an email at quarter to five, on Sunday night reminding everyone to take the weather really seriously and they laxed some of their start village rules and we were allowed to bring small umbrellas and we were allowed to bring extra uh, plastic bags for the extra clothing that they were encouraging us to wear. So 
it was very serious when I feel like when the race directors email you about the weather, it's a pretty serious situation. And I, it didn't even cross my mind to not run it or that it would be canceled. It was just like, Oh, okay. I'm glad that I brought a lot of stuff to think about what to wear. Cause I did adjust my race outfit, but it wasn't until about 10 PM that I, d- I figured out what to wear. And just to talk about that for one second, in terms of figuring out what to wear, during my training cycle, I ran every run outside. I didn't use the treadmill once. And it, there was one particular run that was wet and rainy where I realized what worked for me and what didn't work for me. And I was wearing a jacket during that run and I was so cold. So I knew not to wear that jacket, but I also knew that I have to have my neck warm. So I wore like a, a what are those? Um, Buffs. The buff around my neck and then I had one over my head. And so another piece of advice is to, test the weather you know we don't know what's going to happen i'm really i'm so grateful for doing that run because had i not done that i probably would have worn that jacket and i would not have done well yeah can you talk a little bit about the numbers so there was like a 25 to 30 mile per hour headwind boston is a point to point race so it runs in one direction and the wind was in the opposite direction of the race that was one um it was raining pretty much the whole time at times an outright downpour the real field <laughs> temperature was below freezing it was like 30 deluge yeah deluge is one word i love george saying and the heavens opened up as i got to heartbreak hill <laughs> <laughs> and he did nothing but started laughing it's like okay i'm here now yeah i started I- laughing too because what else can you do is yeah. so ridiculous so it was below freezing but can you talk about what was the most key thing that you focused on getting to the start line yeah, um, it's funny because there's so many points in that day, in that morning before the race that were pivotal, but I had an hour standing in line for the, the bathroom, the the um, Jiffy John or whatever they're called. <laughs> and I had worn a lot of layers. I was really warm and I was standing in line and I had created this little warm cocoon so I didn't want to move. I, I actually did have an umbrella, but I didn't use it because I didn't want to disrupt this warmth that I had built around me and I was just standing in line and I was looking at the sky and it, there was no demarcation between the sky and the ground. It's just gray. We were in like a dark gray bubble. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, this is not happening to me. Nothing happens to me personally. This is the weather and we are all experiencing this. So it's a an even playing field secondly there was nothing i could do about it and i just thought i had this moment where i thought to myself i'm just going to be drenched i am going to be drenched and there's no way around it and why bother fighting it so what can i do to just um not even what can i do it was just like mercy you know it was yeah this is it this is it and i will get to the finish line and i'll be dry for the rest of the day and it's going to be three hours and whatever however much time and you know we talk a lot about in group training this idea of okay so this becomes a race about where am i going to place not what's my time going to be it's how am i going to do within the conditions that are given to me today and it's it was i I saw it as a fun challenge it's like okay well the pressure for the time was completely off i was no longer caring about my time i knew i was fit and i didn't 
you know, my number at Berlin was great, but I had a really hard race. And so I didn't tap myself out. So I entered Boston training with a lot of fitness and I was ready. I still, I wasn't still recovering from Berlin. So I knew that the fitness was there. I had a, it wasn't a perfect training cycle, but I knew that I was okay. So it was not about, can I physically do this? It was about how am I going to adjust to what's happening? And so I, I saw it as an adventure. It was like kind of cool probably the best word for that day an adventure <laughs> okay so the gun goes off there is a much detailed version of the entire thing you wrote about it it's actually really beautiful to kind of read through because it's the way you wrote it it's really visual where you read it in kind of in terms of memory visual memory and imprints and that's really amazing so i encourage the listeners to go to anrestack.com and look up the on your blog you have the entire race recap it's really it's kind of it sucks you in when you're reading it but if you were to do like a version of that on this podcast so the gun goes off what was what was from then to the to the finish line <laughs> thanks i get to relive it <laughs> i'm cold <laughs> i'm cold thinking about it um i'm gonna turn on the heat keep talking yeah, it was kind of an anticlimactic start just because i was still taking clothes off um yeah i had that moment of oh my god i'm running the boston marathon <laughs> this is cool like I did have that moment of recognizing that how far I'd come and how long it took me and my journey to be where I was. And so, of course, I was going to enjoy it. Um, it was really about not going down those hills too fast. And I remember there was a guy that passed me who was wearing no shirt and he just had shorts and a shower cap. And I remember thinking to myself that, and I say this without any judgment, I just, it reminded me of how I respect the sea so much and that I, when I go swimming in the ocean, it's almost like I, I give it a, a, a hello and a welcome and may I enter your substance while, and be a visitor. And I felt that I was a visitor in this storm of the race. And when I looked at that guy, I just felt like maybe that's a little too, a little too much. Um, it felt like he wasn't, I don't know, I, I shouldn't be talking about this other person, but I, he made such an imprint in my mind that like maybe, I don't know what happened to him, but it felt like a very, I hate to, I'm just going to say it, it felt a little arrogant, like he wasn't respecting the situation. Um, so I was really trying to respect the race and the weather conditions. And but I, maybe he was from the North Pole. <laughs> and that wasn't, anyway, go I ahead. hope he made it okay. I mean, I, I can't imagine running that race with no nothing to keep your body heat in um anyway so people were flying by and you know the boston marathon is like the elite race for non-elite runners so everyone who's there knows what they're doing yet there's still people going out too fast and i remember this one guy yelled to these other guys going by see you in newton <laughs> and it that's, was a really that, good that's actually a great line because you probably did see a lot of them in Newton because I ran the Newton Hills. With, we'll, we'll get there, but I just wanted to say that because we we saw so many walkers on Newton Hills. Yeah. But yeah, go ahead. So, I mean, I just was really concentrating on not going out too fast. But before I ran the Boston Marathon, I was like, what does that mean in terms of Boston? Because you're going downhill. And it was described really well. Um, I went to the course strategy at New York Roadrunners that was given last year by Brian Sia and... Uh, Christine Burke, and they explained it as running in neutral. So you're neither expending energy to accelerate, nor are you expending energy to decelerate. 
So I just really thought about running that way. And I kept an eye on my watch to make sure. I think at one point I was going sub seven and I knew that that's not how I wanted to start the marathon. So I really spent the first 5K backing off in a controlled way and just trying to get my rhythm. I do remember I was cold. You know, I was cold. Um, I often don't really settle into marathon pace or the feeling feeling good until like mile eight or nine. So I expected to not feel great for the first like 10 miles. And I was cold. I was cold. But you and I had arranged to meet at mile 10. So I kept that in my mind. Like, don't go too fast. And things change. Like, you know, things that go through my mind in that race were all the things that went through my mind in other races. Like Roberto said last time, we are the accumulation of our training and so everything that I learned in other races, I was trying to apply to mm-hmm. just like calm down, relax, controlled and powerful, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that then we didn't end up seeing each other at mile 10. But just the thought of seeing you at mile 10 got me there. And there was a moment where I did feel very cold and I sped up. And I think that saved me. It wasn't I don't know if it was a conscious decision, but I'd sped up. And I remember seeing that my I had a very quick 5k split of 706 or something and I remember thinking like oh you know this is still early to do this it was just before the half and I thought this is a bit early to be going this fast in these conditions so I backed off but at that point I just I I didn't feel cold after that and I didn't even I wasn't even wearing my gloves I had taken them off Mm -hmm. then you get to the hills what did you feel like when you made that turn off of the fire station and I was like, ready, let's go. This is it. This is the race. Yeah. This Did is you it. feel good at that point? I, I mean, you, really you were obviously good. cold. The weather was kind of totally against you. The wind is hitting you and the rain is not stopped the whole time. Um, so you make that turn. Yeah. Well, just a little tip that I learned from Shalane Flanagan. <laughs> There's actually a little secret hill that no one talks about, which is the first hill in Newton Falls coming out of Newton Falls. So I calculated four hills, so I was prepared for four hills. So that is another recommendation. Um, I was excited. I was I was waiting. You know, the whole the first sixteen miles is like waiting to do the work in Newton. So when I made that turn and I saw the up, it was like game on. You know, I thought of the the hill repeats that you and I had done, and I thought of all of the controlled running I'd done and the strength. I felt really strong felt really strong and I was excited it was the challenge and to do it in the rain and like I couldn't even see the top of the hills it's like just go (laughs) yeah in your blog you define almost like switching gears in a car to just push up and you're like all right I just got to get to the top of this and then so I feel like the segmentation of the race is really interesting because if you're if you hold back and wait for these hills to be like okay you know this is where I'll switch gears and then get up the hills and then it's you know, because you keep keep chipping away from one segment to another. So be controlled for the five miles downhill, then coast to the hills, and then hills being like this place where you can change gears. And if you if you do all of that right, by the time you're top of the hill, when you get to top of Heartbreak Hill, you're at 21, I think. Yeah. I mean, the thing about those hills is that there's flat after each hill, so you can recover. So it was hill, recover, hill, recover, hill, recover. And then... It was easy to lose track of where I was in the hill. I think I asked you at one point, I was like, is this number two or is this number three? And there were more than I had thought, but I was fine with that. I was like, okay, I can do this. And yeah, it was really exactly that of switching gears and 
this is it. This is a repeat. Like, get up it and recover at the top. And then you absolutely recover at the top. And then you get up the next one and recover at the top. The inclination might be even you start going a little fast because the recovery, like, starts feeling good. Yeah, I think you you told me to slow down on one of those flats, actually. Yeah, because, like, the pace started going sub seven. and I was really excited. (laughs) You saw someone from our track club? I did, Carolyn. Yeah, in that weather, that was amazing. She Um, was the only one. She was the lone woman standing under this huge tent. And we had a moment. I got to, like, shake my fist and give her an air kiss. It was really awesome. And then I got to the top, and I was like, oh, now what? (laughs) I'd prepared so much for the uphill. And that downhill is what I was talking about earlier in terms of sort of that, ooh, like, little wobbly, like, oh, okay. And you and I had studied the race course so much, and I had gone on to Strava and looked at people's splits, trying to kind of see what people had done within the time that I had wanted to finish before the weather changed. And what we both noticed was that people flew down the back of Heartbreak Hill and then kind of blew up after that. So that was another downhill of trying to hold back a little bit. And um it made a huge difference that that can become really tricky from what yeah we looked at so many runners on strava like all different times and you can tell like okay this person really executed it well Mm -hmm. and they held back and were on pace but then as soon as they got to the top maybe there was a little bit too much excitement getting closer to the finish line okay hard parts over and they would they they were dropping like 20 30 seconds like their next one to two mile splits were like 30 seconds faster than their marathon pace and then all of a sudden there was a big drop in pace because they just attacked those two miles so when you get up to 21 i think the lesson is take a breath soak it in that you've made it the hard part's over but it's still yeah you're not done you're still over five miles to go so it's a controlled it's a controlled downhill yep and that's (laughs) when i came down the back of heartbreak hill and then it flattened out. That's when the torrential rain, like another bucket came down. That's when I was laughing. And it was it was such a wonderful moment because I knew that the hard part was over. And here's this rain. And I know how ridiculous this is by now. And I just, it was, I started laughing so hard because it's just like such a, I'll never have another experience like that. Probably, I hope not. <laughs> what was it like getting near the finish line? I, I really honestly just wanted to be done, <laughs> but I also knew like, it's funny it right. hindsight. Cause in my, in my essay, I'm like, you know, I really wanted to take it in and enjoy this because it's never as good as the first time. But then I realized like a few months later that I'd missed the cutoff for wave one by three seconds. <laughs> so, um, as Stuart, my coach said, next time sprint, <laughs> so, get to the finish, just get there. You never know what's going to happen. Um, It was exciting, but I was very chaotic. You know, the end of a race is chaotic anyway, but just like that splashing and knowing that it was almost done and I was so tired. But when I made that left turn onto Boylston, I was warned that the finish line is going to look really far away and obscured by the rain, it seemed even further. Um, But it was a really powerful experience. And Brian, Coach Brian, had also mentioned to take note and try to be composed because it is a very emotional experience and you know don't let your emotions take over at the end and because a lot can happen between that turn and the finish line so I can imagine people breaking down and I can imagine you know there's so much involved in a marathon in the Boston Marathon and particularly that finish line and it was um, incredibly overwhelming and it wasn't until 
I crossed the line and got my medal from the woman and the heat sheet, the woman who gave me the heat sheet that I started to, I got emotional because I realized what was behind me, like what had just happened, like how crazy that was. Um, Cause in it, it was just like, do it, just keep going, keep going. So it didn't really settle in what, how insane that was until later. And then I'm glad I didn't know. I mean, apparently over 2,900 people had been in a medical tent. I mean, that's a huge, that's a big deal. And the medical community that helped all the runners is just, it's phenomenal. Yeah, it's incredible. The way that marathons bring communities together is one of the reasons why I run marathons. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. You tried to raise your hands at the finish line. (laughs) (laughs) My photo is so funny. Yeah, they're like um, not even 90 degrees. I look, they look like chicken wings. (laughs) You're like, oh, this is as far high as I can make them go right now. (laughs) I couldn't do it. Did you have an idea of what time you had run? Back to like me saying that there was no time. There really wasn't a time, but I knew, as I said, because I didn't completely expend myself at Berlin, that I was probably gonna do what I did in Berlin at least you know in Berlin I was trying to do sub 310 and I didn't do that and that's okay I knew that I was on pace for sub 310 like at the half and then the second half of the race I just wasn't really paying attention until I got to the top of Harper Hill so I thought I, I was pretty sure I was under 310 but I wasn't positive and then I didn't even know my time until I ended up seeing you I was like, by the way, <laughs> what's my time? And then there's the whole story of trying to get into a warm place oh as God. soon as possible. Yeah, I started shivering right as I stopped. Yeah. And then there was a guy in the women's changing tent. And there was a moment when all of us were like, why is this guy in here? <laughs> And he was like, I'm not looking at anyone. And we were like, we don't care. That's not why we care. That's You're taking the, the space of a woman who's shivering outside. Why are you in the women's med- the tent? Anyway, just had to say that. <laughs> we can summarize this for our listeners. With such a big race that has such a wonderful history and the process that it takes to get there, it's really easy to put a lot of pressure on ourselves. So don't rob yourselves of the joy of the journey by focusing too much on the day. Just enjoy the process that you're going through that took you however long it took you to get there because every day should be a feeling of a reward for all of your hard work. And then from like a physiological perspective, it takes several weeks for our body to catch up to our training. So if you're feeling sluggish and slow, that's because you're still catching up to where you are today. So as Roberto said, just like be really kind to yourself because every all of it should just feel really positive and awesome and at the end of the day it doesn't matter (laughs) um soak it all in but sprint at the end yeah exactly (laughs) i think this was really helpful if i think if listeners have any questions they can follow us on instagram chill track friday or anaerobic n a n n a e r o b i c a n n yeah i made it into a um palindrome yeah so if you have any specific questions about there's a lot more there are a lot lot of details and like i mentioned i think reading your blog is would be really helpful for people who have who want to you know want to check that out that's on anrestec.com the boston marathon experience actually your blog about berlin is also very inspiring so while they're on that website they can check that out as well and 
I think that's it for today's episode. I think so. Um, it was like a Boston-specific, Boston-bound, Boston training, yeah, Boston everything. And even though it's very Boston-focused, a lot of the, at least not necessarily the nuts and bolts of the training, but like the psychology stuff is ap- applicable to any race and any race distance. I think that the journey is why we're here. So, Hope you guys enjoyed this. See you next Friday.